Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. This morning, we are kind of coming to the end of our, our series, The Citizens of the Kingdom. Uh, this isn't our last Sunday, but really, Jesus is, is, is wrapping up, getting to really the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going at this for the last, uh, this is week 18 for us, and we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, and it really is about uh, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. We might say it like this, that the Sermon on the Mount is this concept of if we regard Jesus as our king, this is the characteristics of our life. These are the things that we seek to put and implement into our life. Even as last week, we we wrapped up really kind of the teaching portion of this is the life in the kingdom uh, with do unto others as you would have done to yourself. And it's this idea of just becoming these selfless human beings as we live out our faith here in this world, being citizens of the kingdom. Really, it's a new way to live, and it's impossible to live out that life without the power of the Holy Spirit not only operating in you, uh, but also through you, making you and I the kind of people that can live the Sermon on the Mount up. Now, as we come to this conclusion, it's Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14 this morning, where Jesus says this, Enter the narrow gate... For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus comes to this conclusion of this sermon, really urging his listeners to implement what he's been teaching into their life. And in our case, giving us this opportunity to make a choice. He's really calling people out. In fact, that's what the the word church that you find in the New Testament, it literally means called out ones. That we are called out from this world system, this world's kingdom, and we are called to be set apart for God and his kingdom. And where his rule and reign is something that is a reality in our lives. Jesus taught about the characteristics of those that were a part of the kingdom, the citizens of the kingdom, they're poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He taught about how their life, the citizen's life, impacts the world around us, calling us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He also said that we'll experience persecution by this world because we are living such different lives, even as Jesus declares today in these two different paths that lead to two different destinations. Uh, that way is hard, and you will face persecution and opposition. That's how the world oftentimes will respond to a Christian. He described the way they lived in chapter 6, our motive for doing things. It's not to be seen as righteous by others, but really we give, we pray, we fast. We live out this life seeking to put our our treasures in heaven where God is. uh, and, And we seek first the kingdom of God. Like that's the reality of a citizen of the kingdom. We also learned last week, in the last couple weeks, that the nature of the citizens, their priorities, how we live before God and how we treat other people, that we don't judge others, but we are those that would do unto others as we would want done unto ourselves. And this is really the description of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. They seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's so clear when you read this this incredible sermon. I would encourage you to read it over and over and over again. And what you find is it's describing a totally different kingdom than this world that you and I live in. And it's supposed to look very different than the world that you and I live in. Now you've heard it, essentially is what Jesus is saying. What are you going to do about it? 
And as he wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, he really gives four uh, tests, if you would, uh, four contrasts between true righteousness and a false righteousness. And again, he'd been contrasting a citizen of the kingdom and Pharisees and scribes throughout the Sermon on the Mount, saying, you have heard it said, because the scribes and Pharisees believed that you keep the external version of the law. And Jesus went further and said, but here's the spirit of the law. You've heard it said, you should not murder. But I say, even if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. And so he's contrasting this true righteousness of a citizen by faith that they have in Jesus Christ and those who think that they're doing right enough, well enough, that God ought to give them their favor. That's what the Pharisees had. They had a false hope, but they had no relationship with God, only an external religion. That's why Jesus said in chapter 5, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean? It means you you need something more. You need a righteousness that's based on something more than your effort, but you need need it based on faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. And when you have that, you have a true righteousness, and your life will begin to change. And that description shows up in these different tests uh, throughout the rest of chapter 7. And here today, the test of two different paths. If you're a citizen of the kingdom, these are the things that are going to be a part of your life. Many... In churches all across America, and I would imagine across this globe, have the same kind of false hope that the Pharisees had. They, they, they have things like, well, I go to church, or I try to be a good person, or my dad's a pastor, or my uncle's a pastor. Or, you know, I try to be really good throughout life. But that's a false kind of hope, and that's what Jesus is trying to describe here. Do you have a true righteousness, or do you have something that is false? And it's described in these two different uh, pathways. Many people praise the Sermon on the Mount. But later in chapter 7, he says, but there's no fruit showing that they're actually living it out, that they actually have a true relationship with God. They don't have a true foundation as it wraps up in chapter 7. The, the idea is that, the, that God and his word and him being a part of our life, it should change us as human beings. It's good for us to kind of take evaluation. Is there anything different about my life now that I've made a profession of faith? Paul talks about the same concept in Ephesians 4. He says, you used to lie, but now speak the truth. You used to steal, now get a job so you have something to give other people, right? And steal no longer. There's life change that happens. And some of that's described in the way Jesus, you know, shares these two different paths that are leading to two different destinations. It's really a picture of a human being walking along and being confronted with the kingdom of God. And then having to make a decision. And when I go, the narrow gate, that's a narrow path, it's a difficult life, but it leads to everlasting life. Or am I going to take the broad gate, which is a broad way, and it's an easy life, but its end is destruction. And I think every human being has that moment in time where they have to make that decision, what are they going to do? So Jesus contrasts these two paths. If you know it with me, You can see just the way it kind of unfolds. Jesus says, enter the narrow gate. And then describes the wide gate and all that it was filled with. So number one, what we learn about this path is that it is a narrow path. And even the entrance is narrow. Even as the journey in this path is narrow as well. What, What does that speak of? Well, it speaks of that there's only one way in. It is a narrow gate. Some would describe it as there was a a big gate and then there was a tiny gate in the middle of that. And to get through that gate was the entrance into the kingdom. Meaning that one way to see it is that there is only one way that you can get to God. 
On the broad path, there's all kinds of different theories and thoughts about, hey, listen, if you uh, want to, you know, if you want to believe in this and you want to believe in that, well, it's all roads that are going to lead to God. You might have friends. You might even have that same thought yourself this morning. But what Jesus tells us in his word is in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other option. That's why it's a narrow pathway, and that's why it's a narrow entrance into the kingdom of God. You've got to come to that place in your life where you realize there is no other option. There was a moment in my life where I felt like the option was just try to be better than the average human being. Have you ever thought like that? I mean, we all have thoughts for you. Can you think of someone who's worse than you right now, in this, just in this room? Can you think of, <laughs> someone in this world, someone that you work with, where you just go, man, I'm, I'm above average. But the standard that you're measuring your life to shows that you and I are on the broad path if we think, as long as I'm better than that guy or that girl, then God should accept me. But the issue is, is that you and I are judged on a, on a whole different scale perfection. Even Jesus said, to be perfect, even your father is perfect. That, that's impossible for us. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who does good in this world. The only way for you to enter this path is for you to understand and recognize that Jesus Christ is the only option. That's the exclusivity of the gospel. All have sinned. There is no one who is righteous. There's not many ways to God. People would say, well, as long as you have a sincere faith, the path to destruction in hell is paved with sincerity. I mean, that should awaken everyone in this room to think that sincerity gets you nothing. It's what you have your faith in this morning that determines whether you are on that narrow path that leads to everlasting life. Acts 4, uh, chapter 4, the disciples, as they were proclaiming Jesus, they said that there is no other name given among human beings by which we must be saved. It's impossible for you and I to, uh, to end up Knowing God in eternity with him without surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and understanding that he is the only option. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then he says not only is that, that, uh, that, that entrance narrow, but the path is narrow. People say, you Christians are so narrow-minded. You know, as in our world again today, many roads lead to God in a lot of people's minds. But there's only one way to have your sins forgiven, is to have a perfect substitute who went to the cross for you and I 2,000 years ago and willingly gave up his life so that he could offer forgiveness and pardon and eternal life to all who come to him by faith. And when you venture out onto this path, I was thinking about a journey, you know, going through this small little gate. You know, there's some stuff you have to leave behind. When we think about this journey of faith, the things that you and I are called to do. Reading through the Sermon on Mount, there's a lot of things that you and I are called to leave behind. Like what? The crowd. You've got to go single file into this. This isn't like a group effort. You make a decision to follow Jesus Christ and enter this narrow path and this narrow entrance. And you will find that there are some people that will pull back. Maybe you found that to be true in your own life. In the New Testament, it happened. Paul had to address some of the situations in, in, the, in the city of Corinth because there were people who were getting saved and their spouses are like going, like, what's up with this Jesus fella? Like, this is crazy. Why can't you just worship all these other idols like the rest of us do? And it caused a little tension. Maybe you found that in your life. Maybe you were dating somebody. You gave your life to Jesus Christ. And they're like, whoa, oh my gosh, we're doing what on Sunday? We're going to go to church? 
Like every Sunday? Wait, you're going to give money? You're going to serve with your time? Oh, that's it. I can't be with a person. I'm much better off with someone who's doing drugs and, and losing jobs than somebody who's walking with Jesus. I remember uh, so when I was in Laguna Beach, a little cartoon of this coffee shop. And it was this, uh, this, this young man with his head shaved in a ponytail. And he had a tambourine and like a dress on. He's a hard Christian guy. And his mom and dad sat there on the bed with him and said, listen, your mom had been talking over. We'd, we'd actually want to encourage you to go back to a life of drugs. And it was like, you, you know, some people are like that. Oh, you accepted Jesus? Like, oh, we got to sabotage this. This is messing up my life. Well, that happens. Your lives don't match up anymore, and some people sort of retract from you, right? Uh, some people reject you. You also have to leave your religion out. You don't get to just walk in to, to this narrow path and say, Lord, I know you died on the cross, but I, it's like I've, got some, uh, I've also been doing some things too, some extra help. Some, uh, I think hamburger helper would be the wrong way to, uh, to try to do an analogy, so I'm going to pull that back. That's why I didn't use that analogy. You've got to get rid of your religion and all your pride and what you've actually accomplished for God. Paul did. Paul got to the point in his life where he had so much pride in his effort that he thought that he was doing God a favor until he was confronted with the truth of who he was really in this life. And here's what he said in, in Philippians chapter 3. He said, for his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. It was his description of how he left his religion and all the self-effort and all the things that he took pride in and said, you know what? None of that means anything to me because I want to be found with a true righteousness with God. You've got to leave the crowd sometimes. You've got to leave your religion behind, your pride and your effort. That's why Jesus began the sermon saying, <clears throat> sorry, it sounded like I was going through puberty for a second there. Uh, it's like a second or third puberty, I guess, where like everything's going to turn gray and my hair is going to grow in my ears. Jesus said, I turned 48 this week, okay? So that's what a lot's happening up here in my mind. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To recognize your spiritual poverty before God. You know, the greatest thing that you could do is actually come to that place in your life where you realize, God, I actually give up trying to impress you. I give up trying to, uh, to, to, to accomplish something so that you could receive me and accept me. As you realize your spiritual poverty, you're spiritually bankrupt. And that's what the gospel proclaims. And God wants to give you a, his wealth of righteousness when you and I come to that place in our, our lives. So you have to leave that religion behind and whatever you grew up thinking about your life and how good you were. You leave worldliness behind. We're going to actually study in the fall the book of 1 John. But in 1 John chapter 2, John writes, writes this, do not love this world. Literally he says, stop loving this world, nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These things are not from the Father but are from the world. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. There is a, a moment that you and I need to take a break, like break off from this world. The system of this world, the values of this world, the Pharisees, they treasured the treasures of this world. And that's why Jesus tells us in, in chapter six of, the, of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, store up your treasures in heaven. So you've got to break away from this world. You've got to break away from that old life. Paul often refers to that old life as the old man. That old part of who you and I are. 
that you and I have to break away from that because that old person that you used to be cannot bless when someone persecutes you. That old person who you used to be doesn't have the power or, or the, you, don't, you don't have that instinctive, like, I want to forgive when I am wronged. What, what do you naturally want to do when someone offends you or wrongs you? You want to punch them in the face. That's why Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Oh, you did this to me, I'm going to do that to you. But he says, but I tell you, he gave us a whole different kind of way to live our life. That old man cannot live like that. That's why this narrow path, you've got to leave some of that stuff behind your life. We can't bless those who curse us. We can't forgive those who wrong us. The other option, the gate's wide. And anything goes. And you can continue down that path with all of your selfishness, with all of my selfishness, and it's an easy way to live out life. You ever look at somebody and say, why do they get away with that? You ever feel like your chain's pretty short with the Lord? You know what I mean? Where it's just like, you get a little squirrely in life and it's just like, get back here, Gordon. You know what I mean? Like you're walking a dog that doesn't know how to walk on a leash. You're going, why? Why am I, like, it burns. I feel like Smeagol. It burns. And you're like, why do you let that guy get away with that? How do you got a friend that you just go like, if, 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 if I try to do what they are doing, oh man, like the Lord would be throwing all kinds of stuff my way to get me back on track. You go, why don't you do some of that to him? Because it's not his child. I tell my kids, listen, you made a commitment to Jesus Christ. God's not going to let you get away with stuff that you see everybody else getting away with. The path is narrow. Number two. He says, he says the path is also difficult. This is why a lot of people back away. The Christian life is the most difficult life you could ever live. Just for the things that we've talked about. Blessing those who persecute us. Forgiving those who wrong us. Doing unto others what we wish other people were doing for us. Becoming an other-centered person. That's the most difficult life to live on this planet. It's much easier being on the broad path where anything goes and you never have to change. But God calls you and I to change and that happens on this difficult path as opposed to the easy one. Easy to repay evil for evil. Easy to be selfish. It's not easy to die daily. What makes this path difficult? Well, Jesus told us that there's a promise of suffering on this path. Like these are things you never see on people's walls. You know what I mean? It's always like, um, you know, uh, Jeremiah, and I love Jeremiah 29, you know, 11, right? Um, you know, for God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's always just like, you know, all good stuff, right? The great promise he gave to the nation of Israel. But no one ever has when others revile you and persecute you, right? Or no one ever has the verse, Jesus said, in this world you have trouble. And to stop right there. Hey, I want to get a new tattoo. In this world you have trouble. Oh, wow, how encouraging. Jesus said, he went on to say, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He didn't say, when you accept Jesus, you'll have whiter teeth, you'll have a hot girlfriend, you'll have an easy life, you will always get a raise year after year. It's a difficult life. And when that hits some people, they say, whoa, I didn't know it was that. A lot of times it's because we preachers are guilty 
of saying, hey, just accept Jesus. It'll be like, you know, the easiest thing in the world. Just do it. It's a difficult life. You should count the cost is what Jesus said. Count the cost if you're going to actually be committed to this kind of a life. Paul told Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a test for you and I. If your life does not bother other people in your world, if no one is offended by the way you live and what you believe, perhaps you and I are trying to live like a secret disciples. I'm not saying go pick a fight tomorrow at work or Tuesday at work. Walk in the break room. Hey, everyone, I got an announcement to make. All y'all going to hell for all eternity. I saw all your Instagram posts this weekend. The end. And then your boss calls you in and says, listen, that can't happen anymore. Oh, I'm being persecuted. Jesus said this would happen. No, you're idiots. Like, don't do that. But when people find out what you believe, people find out the way you live your life, people find out the standard that you think is, is how you should live your life, and in the exclusivity of the gospel, if somebody asks you, hey, do you think that I'm on the right path to heaven, and you are afraid to actually say, unless you respond and have faith in Jesus Christ, no one gets to the Father, you can't chicken out in that moment. You can't be ashamed of the gospel. And that might offend people. You're going to suffer a little persecution. You're going to be criticized. You might be excluded. You might be disliked. You might be misunderstood. This path, it's difficult because it has some suffering in it. You know what else it still has? Temptation. Temptation. You think, God, now that I'm fired up for you, I've been singing worship today. We read your word together. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tackle the world. I remember going to a college retreat where this one guy, instead of addressing God in prayer, we were in a big old prayer circle, you know, like we're all fired up, getting ready to go home off this mountain. And, and he's just like starts telling the devil, bring it on, Satan. Bring it on. I'm like, I'm going to a different prayer group. You know what I mean? I don't want, I don't want, hey, I didn't ask for trouble. You know what I mean? I got enough trouble without the devil knowing my name. How about you? This life is filled with temptation and the constant need to discipline yourself, to flee from it, and to run from it. My flesh is still alive and active. Have you noticed yours is as well? Have you noticed you're read, bless those who persecute you, and then when somebody does, you don't just say, oh, here's my opportunity. Bless you, brother. No, it's just like on your phone, all caps. You have no idea what I almost sent to you. But the Lord spoke to me and I pulled it back. The reality is we got all kinds of temptations. And we are called to put to death that old man and his desires. We are called to discipline our lives for the purpose of godliness. Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said in Romans 13, 12, the night is almost gone. He, he was meaning this. That this life is almost over. You and I are one day closer today to spending all eternity with God. And what Paul was trying to do is saying, wake up, church in Rome. Wake up and stop living a fleshly oriented life and start living for Jesus Christ. He says the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Let me just pause for a second. What is one thing, 
on this difficult path that is a, a dirty, smelly garment that you keep carrying along on this journey that right now the Holy Spirit is saying, rip that thing off. Drop that baggage off of you right now. That doesn't belong to you in this life. See, that's what becomes difficult about it. If we weren't walking with Jesus today and we were on the path that leads to destruction, it's one more piece of clothing. Who cares? People can walk a little farther away if it stinks a little bit because it's a broad path. But no, this path is difficult because it is filled with trials and temptations. We're called to flee temptation. And thank God on this path that the same grace that saves us and enables us to enter onto this narrow path is the same grace that covers our sin when we stumble and we mess up on this narrow, difficult path. Amen? That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. We have this, this little cup that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us on the cross. And this bread that represents his body that was broken for us. Because every time we stumble, God's grace is always greater than our sin and mistake. Even on this path that we're trying to live for Jesus Christ. God's grace is there to pick us up. I love what John says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's a Christian bar of soap, my friend. On this difficult path today, as we talk about dealing with all these difficulties, my heart gets cut to the bone. I'm like, dang, dude, you're tripping up on this narrow path. And we remind ourselves of the grace of God. That's how we are enabled to get on this path. That's how you're enabled to become a citizen of the kingdom. You're spiritually bankrupt. You need a righteousness that's bigger than what you can bring to the table. And we remind ourselves, God, your grace covers us. But it's difficult, this journey. There's no vacationing, by the way, for your walk with God. There's no time to relax on spiritual things. Can I ask you this morning, have you taken a break on your spiritual journey? Have you sort of put your devos off? For a couple extra moments of sleep? Have you noticed those moments of sleep didn't give you enough strength to actually handle the troubles that your day provided for you that day? And it's like, you know what, tomorrow I got to get up a little bit early and spend some time in prayer. Hey, get off vacation if that's where you find your life. Every day you ought to be spending time with God in prayer. There's no set time. We're not going to say, hey, RV Sears, like, let's step it up. Let's do 55 minutes. Listen, if you got three minutes, begin there. Begin with God every single day in prayer, reading some of his word and allowing him to give you power for this narrow path that is filled with difficulty. That's what Jesus described here. You know what else is the problem on this journey? You have a spiritual foe. Ephesians 6 tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We have a spiritual realm that we just do not pay attention to. You know, when I went to Haiti a couple of Januarys ago, three Januarys ago, I guess, we go to sleep at night. There was these satanic um, mosquitoes that tried to get at us. So we had a little covering. We had our nets. You go to sleep, though, and you'd hear, you'd hear the voodoo drums. It was trippy. I'm not going to lie. You just go like, dang, man, people are praying to the devil tonight. It's, it's different. People listen to hip-hop four doors down from your house. You can handle that. Lord, you got that. When people start like, do, you know, that they're doing some weird things, you're just going like, these people have invited Satan to their country. They dedicated their country to Satan, by the way. Years back, the leadership did. And you just go, okay, 
You get back to America, it's like, oh, that's not the devil. That's not the devil. When are we going to wake up every so often and just go like, this feels like the devil. Give us some stuff going on in your family life right now. You just go like, okay, these are normal problems, but they feel like they're on anabolic steroids. You know what I mean? It's like, dang, this has got some force and power. Even if Satan doesn't initiate, he capitalizes on it. You got a struggle, he'll capitalize on that struggle. That's how he operates and works. Peter says, stay alert. That sounds like you and I need to be awake on this narrow path. Stay alert. Why, Peter? Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What is his mission? Devouring you. Chewing you up. Ruining your life. It is a difficult path. You've got trials and, and sufferings. You've got temptations you still have to address and be, and, and be upfront about and, and, and tackle and flee from. You've got a spiritual host of wickedness that is trying to attack you. And you say, God, this morning, I want to live my life for you, Jesus. I want to walk out of here on this narrow path that, yes, it's filled with difficulty. And you have a target on your back. And you try to do that skipping 15 days of devos and see how well you do. We need to be aware of his schemes. There's just times that you and I need to pause and say, this feels like way bigger than just life. He's after us. The Christian life is less like a playground that we kind of create in the Christian American world. It's a battleground. And Ephesians 6 says there's fiery darts whizzing past your head and almost took your face off. You and I need to be aware and hold up that shield of faith and pick up the sword of the spirit, amen? And have that a part of our lives. That was the weakest amen I've ever heard in my life. I didn't know what I just said. I, it's like I said something like about your team. You're like going, amen. Let's try it again. You can take up that sword of the spirit. Oh, there we go. Thank you very much. Worship team, that's all I needed. Come on. No, just stay back. A couple more minutes. Jesus said this also. He said that the path that is difficult, it's also a path that leads to life. And I think you and I forget that so many times. Like you are, you're not, a, you're not an earthly being on a spiritual journey. You are a spiritual being on an earthly journey. This is a tiny little time in your life. This is a grain of sand on a beach full of grains of sand called eternity. And this is a tiny moment in your life. And you go, it's difficult, it's narrow, but it's leading you to eternal life. Every single moment you make a decision to live for something eternal over something that is temporal, you are winning, you are moving in the right direction, and you are setting yourself up for rewards that are coming at the end of this journey. So remember, this path you are on, yes, it's tough. Yeah, it's filled with temptation and suffering and spiritual foes, but it is leading to eternal life. Where God is in heaven. And by the way, there will be no more tears in heaven. You will not have this flesh and blood that contains like sin DNA in it. You get a brand new body, hello, that doesn't fall apart and doesn't contain that sin gene so that it's over for you and I. And when we stand there in God's presence, the Bible confirms that he will wipe every tear from our eye. Whatever plagues you in this life that you say, God, that is more difficult than I can handle, you keep pressing on because this journey will end, by the way. According to Paul, we're one day closer. And when it ends, like you have 
eternal life and heaven awaiting for you. Those became like the motivation, if you would, for the early church when they were suffering and went in prison because they believed the gospel. Some of them lost their lives because they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And yet their hope was in eternity. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in the next politician that's going to rise up. Our hope is in in God and eternal life that he has promised to everyone who believes in him. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our effort on this journey. We are saved by God's grace. This is a picture, if you would, of those who have believed in Jesus and they have a true righteousness by faith and they're the saved ones and their lives reveal what path they have chosen to walk. The other path leads to destruction, eternal separation from God in hell for eternity. That's what the Bible confirms. This is a true life or death situation because it's difficult. And even though we know our life is leading towards eternal life, we need to encourage ourselves. We need to encourage each other that you're a child of God. I'm a child of God. Christ died for us. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That God who began a good work in you is not going to leave you hanging. He's going to complete that good work when Jesus Christ returns. So you press on, you're headed towards heaven, you keep putting God's kingdom first, that is the right kind of decision to be making as a citizen of the kingdom. And there's a reward coming, and so you keep seeking to obey his word and his commands, and in the end you will hear from the lips of Jesus himself, well done my good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master. I bet you no one would ever imagine Uh, No one I would imagine ever stands at the doors of eternity regretting that they walked on this narrow path. I would imagine that they actually were rejoicing. God, I'm so grateful that I kept pressing on, that I kept serving you. Here's the last thing I want you to note with me. Jesus said this. He said, hold on. (laughs) It's crazy how one day will change something. He said, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few, as opposed to the wide gate. Those who enter are many. This is a path that's not popular. Few find it. God's people have always been a remnant. You young people who are going to school right now, you, you those who are in high school, raise your hand if you're in high school this morning. You're in high school. Look at all these kids right now. Do you know what kind of like, difficulty they have living for Jesus? This isn't a, should I have Kool-Aid or should I have Mountain Dew for lunch? These kids face an onslaught of difficulty trying to live for Jesus Christ. You ought to be praying for them every single day, even if they're not your own children. You young people, though, that just raise your hands, can I encourage you? You keep pressing on. Even if no one goes on this journey with you, Jesus is on this journey with you. And how about some of you old people, too? It's a small group that's traveling down this narrow path. And Jesus affirmed, it's few that find it. Because it is so difficult. But you keep pressing on. Only God knows, by the way, who's saved and who will be in heaven. But it's because of this difficult life that he calls us to that many back away. Sometimes it's a lonely path. But don't think about the sacrifices and the struggles and the trials. Think of him, Jesus, who said, follow me. Walking with Jesus is what gave Paul the ability to say, I'm going to leave all behind to gain a true righteousness and to know him. You know, this, this 
Jesus wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, coming to this kind of this moment, this first test was, what path are you on? This is a decision where you say, God, I had to count the cost. And many of you have counted the cost. And many of you actually stepped into this journey with Jesus. And you thought it would be a little easier, right? Well, I'm going to accept Jesus. And then some of my problems will go away. Well, some of them did, didn't they? And then 4,000 others started emerging. Because that's just the life of a child of God. It is a narrow path. It is a difficult path. It is a path that is, is filled with, with, uh, with, with the hope of eternal life. But very few people actually find it. That's why Jesus said, count the cost. A decision had to be made by those who were listening that day, just like a decision has to be made by some of us even this morning. A confirmation for some of you this morning, saying, God, I know it's difficult, but God, I'm, I'm glad I'm on this path. Maybe there's some of you this morning who are going, man, I, I look at my life right now, and I think I'm on the broad path. And just like those that listened to that Sermon on the Mount that day, you've got to come to a decision in your life. It's not a rash decision. Following Jesus, he's going to make you wealthy and all these wonderful things. Listen, he promised you a little bit of difficulty. But it's the greatest life. It's the greatest life that you could ever live. Two paths, two destinations. Can I ask you this morning to contemplate which path are you on? Which one are you on? Which one confirms this morning you think about your own life, how you're living it, what's going on in your world, and it will let you know which path you're on. Some of you need some encouragement this morning. You're on the right path. You're doing right. It's narrow. Some of your baggages of sin need to be jumped off this morning. You need to make a step up your commitment to what you're going to start removing from your life. These dirty deeds of old rags that Paul described. But you need encouragement. You got to keep pressing on. It's difficult, but it's worth it. Some of you need to consider, is he Lord of your life this morning? Your team's going to come and they're going to lead us in a, in a time of worship. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And before we do that, man, I want to give you a chance, an opportunity to change paths. To change paths. Is he Lord of your life this morning? Does this commitment that you have made to walk this narrow path, does it control your life as it should? I think all of us should ask this question. Does my life look more like a person on the broad path? Or a person on the narrow path? Am I hungering and thirsting for righteousness that Jesus described as citizen of the kingdom would? Or is it having less and less of a hunger for him? Am I striving to grow in my walk with him? I love what Warren Wearsby says about this passage. He says, many people who trust Christ never leave the broad path with its appetites and associations. They have an easy Christianity that makes no demands on them, yet Jesus said that the narrow way was hard. We cannot walk on two roads in two different directions at the same time. You've got to make a decision, man. What path are you going to walk it doesn't mean you struggle. It doesn't mean you don't sin. We have addressed that. Of course we're going to trip up on this path. But where's your desire at today? Is it to live for Jesus? Is it to be on that narrow path? Maybe you say, I need to distance myself from certain things. The world, some pet sin. Maybe a relationship that isn't healthy for you. You see, those are the things that a citizen of the kingdom on the narrow path is daily making decisions over. I read that quote, Jesus said, what would, a pro what would a person profit if they gained the whole world, yet they forfeited their soul? If you find yourself this morning looking at your life saying, man, my life is on that broad path. I've not committed my life to Jesus. You know what's so awesome about God? is that God will snatch 
a sinner on that broad path so fast off of that path and into his kingdom. Faster than a mother would take her own child out of a burning fire. And what you need to do today is you need to recognize, God, I recognize that I am a sinner, I'm a sinner, that I've broken your commands, and God, my life is heading in a direction so far away from you. But today, I recognize you died for me. Today, I recognize you're calling me to enter into this narrow path, and today's the day I'm going to make a decision to be a follower of yours. What does it mean? How, do, how is a person saved? By surrendering their heart and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Would you close your eyes? Father, thank you this morning for giving us, Lord, some tough stuff from the word. God, this is a difficult little section of scripture because it challenges our lives. Some of us, each one of us actually has to do some self-evaluation. God, where we are with you. Lord, this morning our prayer is that we would all be on that narrow path. Lord, it is narrow, God. There's some things that we have to leave behind. God, it's difficult, but Lord, it leads to life. And Lord, though there are few that find it, God, there is a, a host of, of brothers and sisters in Christ around this globe that are on that narrow path with us. And Jesus, you are right there with us, walking with us as our Savior and our Lord. You're our shepherd that guides us through life. We say thank you for that today. Father, I also pray for those who are here. God, there might be one or two people who have never, or God, they've been putting off a commitment to you. And Lord, this morning, God, they are awakened to the truth that they're on a broad path and it's leading to destruction. God, they have no guarantees of tomorrow. And Lord, this morning, you are knocking on the door of their heart. My friend, if God is stirring your heart right now, urging you to come to him and believe in him, have your sins forgiven, and begin a relationship with him by faith, I want to pray for you right now. I want you to simply lift up your hand and say, Gordon, would you pray for me? I'm ready to surrender my heart to him. If that's you, you put your hand up high enough so I can see it. Let's pray together. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you back there. Anybody else? Today you want to surrender to him. You want to, you want to be a follower of his. You want your sins forgiven. You want to enter this narrow path. Anybody else? God bless you. Listen, he loves each and every one of you today. Maybe you've been wandering, sort of slacking off on vacation with your Christian life. Today the Holy Spirit is calling you back to him. I want to pray for you as well. You lift your hand up and let's pray together this morning. God bless you, man. Listen, for those of you that acknowledge that you want Jesus in your life, I'm going to pray a prayer up here. And you pray this in your heart. And you ask Jesus to do this work of salvation in your own life. The Bible confirms that he's going to come into your life. He's going to make you a new person this morning. So pray after me now. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and today I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins, and I believe that you rose from the dead. Today I trust and I follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life, Lord, and help me to do your will. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. And thank you for the promise of everlasting life. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you just welcome those that just prayed that prayer with us this morning? So awesome. Listen, for those of you that prayed that prayer with us, you are welcome to join us this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. You know, today we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and it was in that upper room that Jesus took that bread, and he said, this is my body, and he broke it in front of his disciples, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, 
You do it in remembrance of me. And later on that evening, he took a cup and he took that cup and he held it up and said, this is the covenant, uh, this is the blood of the covenant of the new blood, which is my blood, sorry. He says, as often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. His body was broken so that you and I could be forgiven. His blood was spilled so our sins could be washed away. And he rose from the dead three days later so he could offer eternal life to each and every one of us. Today as we celebrate this, this isn't a moment that we, 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 we sulk and we feel bad and we remorseful. This is a day we celebrate. We say, God, thank you. Without your blood, I wouldn't be saved. And so as our team leads us in worship, two things I'm going to tell you to do. You can come and receive communion. You can sit up here if you want by the stage and you can pray with your family, your friends. You can go back to your seat and you can worship with us and receive the communion elements. You can also go and receive prayer on both sides of the room this morning. Not only during this last song, but also after the service is over, there'll be some of my friends that'll be ready to pray for you. Those of you that just prayed that prayer with us, man, I'm so excited for you. Would you let us know on that connection card so we can get you some tools that'll help you grow in your walk with Jesus. Let's all stand. Let's worship him this morning.